You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Milk, which came out in 2008 and was directed by Gus Van Zandt. It stars Sean Penn, James Franco, Emile Hirsch, Josh Brolin, Diego Luna, Allison Pill, Victor Garber, Dennis O'Hare, Kelvin Yu, and Joseph Cross. Also, this review will be discussing The Times of Harvey Milk, which is a documentary that came out in 1984 and was directed by Rob Epstein, with narration by Harvey Firestein. The genre would be political biopic. Homosexuals are allowed their civil rights, and so would prostitutes or thieves or anyone else. I'm not going to be forced out of San Francisco by social deviants and incorrigibles. We need one of our own in office. There she is, our new campaign manager. You're all scared of girls. You'll be the first openly gay man elected to major office. We lose this. We'll have anti-gay laws in all 50 states. One thing that I think always caught me off guard about this biopic, and why it remains one of my favorites, is Sean Penn's portrayal of real-life civil rights activist Harvey Milk. He's just so damn likable in this. It's surprising and disarming because going back through the early 1980s, as great of an actor as Sean Penn has been, Let's just say I haven't always found him so charming or likable. But he would have to be with such a tricky, transformative role. The real Harvey Milk would not have achieved what he did at the time without an inherent likability. He was always very keen on knowing his audience, speaking out at his most bluntest on some serious issues only around some key folks he was working alongside in the LGBT community. We're going to convince the 90% to give a shit about us 10%. We have to let them know who we are. Everybody has to come out across the entire state, no matter where they live. Come out wherever you are. If we're going to beat Prop 6, we tell all of them to come out. Every gay lawyer, teacher, doctor, dog catcher. We have to leave the ghetto. We have to let all those people out there know that they know one of us. And if somebody doesn't want to step out of the closet, we open the door for them. Jesus. Uh, the whole state is in San Francisco, Harvey. Clearly, Scott. Yeah, well, I, Harvey, that could be really, really dangerous. I mean, there's such a thing as a right to privacy. Privacy. In this movement, at this time, I'm not saying this is a supervisor. Privacy is the enemy. He was a masterful politician, and it's part of the real genius of director Gus Van Zandt 
and writer Dustin Lance Black's approach to this story that the audience understands how and why Milk could embrace this duality. Mastering the art of handshakes with unions, kissing babies, of course, leading the charge on cleaning up dog poop in the parks, that all came hand-in-hand with orchestrating an often stealth coming-out campaign to undercut the likes of the Anita Bryants and Dan Whites of the world at the time, to prevent them from pushing their own versions, their own 1978 versions of Don't Say Gay Bills at the time. And no, that's not a slip. It's a very valid comparison to what's going on right now. And your law goes even further. That it's any school employee who even supports a gay person can be fired. Well, that's true. The gay people don't have any children of their own. And if they don't recruit our children, they'd all just die away. You know, and, and, and that's why they're also interested in becoming teachers, because they want to encourage our children to join them. And how do you teach homosexuality? It's like French? <laughs> well... I was born of heterosexual parents taught by heterosexual teachers in a fiercely heterosexual society. So why then am I homosexual? And no offense meant, but if it were true that children mimic their teachers, we'd have a hell of a lot more nuns running around. Since Sean Penn's uncharacteristically relaxed and likable turn as Jeff Spicoli in Fast Times at Ridgemont High almost 40 years ago, He has often thrived best as an actor when often playing into his prickly persona. With performances in Carlito's Way, State of Grace, Bad Boys, and 21 Grams. All movies I love and all performances I love as well. But that's just not the case here as he is effectively portraying a true beacon of light. Milk was a beacon of light. And even while dealing with some very serious matters related to the civil rights fight for homosexuals, We also see Harvey Milk reveling in his newfound power to help orchestrate the biggest parties or celebrations around. No joke. You could definitely see this with some pretty jaw-dropping footage of what was likely the first lavish gay pride parade down Market Street in the late 1970s, as seen in the Oscar-winning 1984 documentary, which helped inspire this movie, The Times of Harvey Milk. Just recently, for the first time, I had the pleasure of watching the documentary in conjunction with this movie. And while there are many, many beats which Van Zandt directly lifts from the documentary, which, to be fair, is given prominent appreciation during the closing credits for Milk, all of the real-life footage blends in quite seamlessly with everything that's dramatized. Just consider me a bit surprised that the 2008 movie does not actually show footage from that first Pride Parade, which we see in the documentary. It's just an awe-inspiring image, seeing these packed streets with literally hundreds of thousands of people filling them up expressing themselves in the most joyous way possible. Just damn impressive. There are 15 million lesbians and gay men waiting to hear your voice. In San Francisco, they can come out and not have to worry about their jobs. Whether you white, non-gay, very wealthy establishment have to deal with me. It's kind of funny that the documentary came out more than 24 years before the Gus Van Zandt film, and yet, having not finally seen the documentary until 14 years after first seeing the narrative feature, it almost kind of feels more fitting that way, in that order. The one aspect of this story, which Joel Epstein's documentary delves a bit further into, was the current state of San Francisco politics. You get to know Mayor Moscone much more, seeing as he was much more involved in the democratization of the San Francisco city government than portrayed in Van Zandt's film. Moscone comes off as a genuine mensch, though, regardless. Really the right leader for San Francisco at the time. 
Via loads of interview footage, we get to know the Dan White story very in-depth in the documentary. The documentary also delves much more into his trial for the unfortunate murders of Milk and Moscone. And that would likely be my biggest criticism of the documentary. It's about 90 minutes long, and Milk has died with roughly a half hour remaining. At approximately 10.45 a.m., realizing he was not going to be reappointed, Dan White went directly to the mayor's office unannounced. There was a brief argument. Dan White pulled out a gun and shot George Moscone. The mayor fell, and White fired two more bullets into his head. White then reloaded his gun. He walked to the other side of City Hall and into Harvey Milk's office. Five shots rang out. According to the coroner's report, Harvey Milk was rising, both hands out in front of him when the first shot hit. He fell. And I I get it. It's real life, obviously. Being that Dan White was actually absurdly released from prison in 1984 as well, I could somewhat see the reasoning for this since the trial and that crazy Twinkie defense that his lawyers used, it was still a pretty fresh story just six years later when the documentary came out. And to be fair, the real entrenched results of Milk's pioneering efforts towards gay-influenced gentrification would not really start to be seen in most American urban centers until well into the 1990s. It can often take several years, sometimes decades, to truly assess the historical impact of someone like Harvey Milk. And through no fault of their own, the documentary was filmed really only five years after his death. And that's a big part of what makes Milk such an essential movie. Allowing a few decades to pass gives you time to reflect while carving out more context for the sea changes that he helped bring about. For one thing, the film is quite comfortable portraying his love life in depth in a matter that just would not have been possible in a mainstream film, even most documentaries, back in 1984. And Van Zant assembled a strong cast to pull this off. Can I just tell you, if you say anything about politics or the campaign or what speech you have to give or anything, I swear to God, I'm going to stab you with this fork. I just wanted to say that this is the most wonderful dinner I have ever had. (laughs) If we lose this, it'll just be you and me again, I promise. James Franco brings a lot of warmth and necessary calm to his earlier scenes as Scott Smith, who was with Milk early on, while Diego Luna really pulls off the very tricky performance of Jack, Milk's later boyfriend, who was clearly very disturbed. Honestly, Diego Luna's scenes with Penn are the toughest to watch, but that's clearly by design. Van Zant was clearly making a concerted effort to portray some of the complications of closeted, and or semi-closeted life around this time, and the unhealthy relationships which could sometimes result. The two actors who almost steal the movie from Penn, though, are likely Josh Brolin as Dan White and Emile Hirsch playing Cleve Jones, who himself would go on to become quite the activist, especially during the AIDS epidemic years later. Josh Brolin was justifiably nominated for an Oscar as well, playing a very seemingly buttoned-up old-school type who's also gradually coming apart at the seams as he is clearly not ready for life as a politician. And of course, knowing that it will all lead to his murder of Harvey Milk, it's also quite wrenching to watch his betrayal of Dan White, watching his bigotry and his resentment of Milk. What are you working on, Dan? If you have something to discuss, Harvey, you can have your aide make an appointment with my aide. 
Dan, I know you're upset about the psychiatric center. What else do you have coming up? Now you need something from me. <laughs> what do you want me to support the queers against Prop 6? Is that it? We prefer the term gay, Dan. Just as I'm sure you prefer the term Irish American instead of Mick. Harvey, society can't exist without the family. We're not against that. You're not? What, can two men reproduce? No. But God knows we keep trying. <laughs> and on the other end of the spectrum, Emil Hirsch is just a force as this self-proclaimed prick in his 20s, tricking it up around San Francisco before he finds his true calling as a key point person for Milk, who proves not only adept at assembling crowds, but both riling them up and calming them down when necessary. There are a couple of sequences of just watching Cleve Jones rally the troops via pay telephone. They didn't have cell phones then loading them up with quarters that are just such a kick to watch. Helped, of course, by Van Sant's nifty use of shrinking split screens to show all the talking heads who are being called, and how word is just spreading. Of course, that brings me back to Gus Van Zandt, who, with key help from Oscar-nominated editor Elliot Graham, is clearly using every trick at his disposal to spin this all into something much more entertaining and with more immediacy than your typical biopic. We see just such an adept mixture of archival news footage with modern dramatizations that it's truly difficult to tell them apart at times. We feel like we're in the Bay Area, in the 70s, all around San Francisco. The Hate, the Castro, City Hall, the Tenderloin, and props must also go to cinematographer Harris Savides for pulling off the 1970s vibe of this film just so authentically. I mean, is it some kind of weird coincidence that this cinematographer also worked on David Fincher's Zodiac just the year before? You kind of get the sense that the dude just took a time machine back to 1970s San Francisco and just kind of planted himself there between shoots. And that brings me to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Danny Elfman's score for this film is just so delicate throughout. It achieves this rare blend of sounding melancholy, whimsical, and hopeful, often between notes or tempo changes. It's really a key driver for the tonal balance that Van Zandt is going for with this story. The music itself is very much dominated by very string instruments, with the occasional choral voices coming through for some added effect. With just a few instruments, the score even fools you at times into thinking it's trotting out the typical emotional beats that you would see in a biopic like this. With moments that come close to just screaming out, okay, here's the moment where you need to cry, folks, but gratefully, it just never goes full-on maudlin to pull you out of the movie like that. This especially comes through at my personal favorite point of the score, which actually plays at the very end as we see a postscript montage of real imagery of all of the key players in this story, describing what happened to each of them eventually. And as the music builds, it's really quite touching as you gradually realize how many amazing people Harvey Milk had in his circle and how they carried out his legacy years after his tragic murder. As cliched as this might sound, it just does not come off that way, thanks to the choices of imagery we are shown and this very touching music that we hear over them.
That brings me to the next category, which would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, given that I have previously used this category in other reviews to address Oscar slights before, you would think that the fact that Milk received eight Oscar nominations and won two awards in the controversial year of 2008 would make it an ideal candidate. 2008 was the year of the celebrated comeback of Mickey Rourke, giving an all-time career performance in The Wrestler, which did receive a nomination for Best Actor and ended up being the sentimental favorite to win the award all the way through Oscar night. That was all the hype. Before, Sean Penn would actually win Best Actor that night for Milk. Now, do I actually think that Milk stole a deserved Best Actor win from Mickey Rourke? Not really sure. Now, granted, Mickey Rourke was pretty transcendent in The Wrestler. You're my little little girl. And now, I'm an old, broken-down piece of meat. And I'm alone. It's a heartbreaking, transformative performance. And in retrospect, I would have quite dug it, actually, if he won that year. At the end of the day, though, I think the two performances are very comparable in quality. And you really could not go wrong rewarding either of them. And that brings me to the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. In a film that has its share of louder, emotional beats, my personal favorite scene is a quieter one, roughly halfway through, that really gives you a genuine feel for how big movements are often the result of just fortuitous timing. It's basically just a late-night sit-down conversation between Harvey Milk and Cleve Jones. When Jones comes by Milk's Castro headquarters late at night, apparently heartbroken over a relationship that just ended badly. You get the sense initially that Harvey might just be looking to be that convenient shoulder to cry on, as we had already seen Harvey aggressively flirt with Cleve in a prior scene when they first met. And who knows if this actual conversation really happened, or if this is actually how it played out if it actually did happen. I went to Spain last month. Long story. In Barcelona, there was this memorial march for gay people that had died under Franco. Of course, the police tried to break it up, but these queens didn't run, no. They turned around and they started a fucking riot. I saw a bullet, one of those big rubber bullets, ripped through a drag queen scout, but she kept on fighting. She was screaming, but she kept on fighting. I mean, my... Our lives. There was blood literally running in the gutter. We could have a revolution here. But regardless, the conversation eventually shifts into talking about revolution. And you see these two figures of future historical importance bond, but in a very human way. Cleve Jones would eventually become a key campaigner for Milk's run for city council and eventually many other advocacy efforts, including the AIDS quilt. As quiet as this scene plays out, you get the sense that history was being made right here, and that's part of what just makes it so thrilling to watch. You really think you'll win? <sighs> Winning's not my strong suit. Well, I don't do losing ever. Can you assemble a thousand people in an hour? Fuck yeah. Well, if I run again, you're going to be my man. If you're so The polls open in three hours. How about you and I hit the bus stops? 
Okay. And now the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Overall, Milk remains one of the best biopics or political dramas of recent years, telling a story that is still disturbingly relevant even today. Seriously, just revisit that old footage of John Briggs warning of the dangers of gay teachers back in 1978, and compare it to segments today from Tucker Carlson, among others, talking about, quote, indoctrination. There's no daylight between them. Given that, I have little doubt that the impetus for including such segments from 1978 or before, within the 2008 narrative feature, came directly from just how effectively they were used for the 1984 documentary. And for that reason, I feel like the contributions of both directors were essential towards delivering the fullest spectrum possible for the story of Harvey Milk. The co-MVPs are Rob Epstein, director of The Times of Harvey Milk, and Gus Van Zandt, director of Milk. Personally, I would like to thank my partner in life, John Wright, for all the support during the six years it took to get this film made. And finally, a simple thank you to Harvey Milk for reminding us that it's possible to live life with a sense of social responsibility and a sense of humor. My rating for Milk would be five stars out of five, while my rating for The Times of Harvey Milk would be four and a half stars out of five. This is just one of those rare true story films that I find so rewatchable and consider me quite grateful to have now finally seen the important documentary which it's so clearly built upon. Both films are high recommends. And if you're looking to watch Milk 2008, it's currently streaming on Peacock TV. And The Times of Harvey Milk, the documentary, is currently streaming on HBO Max. And that ends another hopeful review. You gotta give them hope. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.